hello and welcome to the latest podcast of critical thinking, critical issues, net zero or fake zero as the key topic. So my name is Monica Freeman. I'm a consultant in Mercer's global sustainable investment team, which supports clients in their sustainable investing and climate change journeys. Really excited to host this podcast. So we are running out of time. This is the one key message from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, which recently released its latest report from the world scientists, showing first, that the evidence is clearer than ever that human activities are raising temperatures and driving us towards criti critical tipping points on climate. Second, that the warming to date has already made changes to many of our planetary support systems, some of which are irreversible for many centuries. Third, timelines have been pushed forward with the scientific authors believing that a 1.5 degree Celsius warming, which is really a critical threshold to stabilize our climate, will be reached by 2040 if emissions are not slashed in the next few years. However, there, there is glimmers of hope um, and, and positive news. And most importantly, that if we make, a, um, if we are to make a difference we, and reduce emissions by at least 45% this decade and commit to net zero emissions soon after, we can stabilize the climate. And of course, many of us don't need a report to highlight the risks from climate change. Looking outside my window here in Vancouver in Western Canada, where we've had 50 degree heat waves and yet another year of massive wildfires, um, you know, climate change has been really real to many of us. And so against that backdrop, we're seeing, you know, many more governments, companies, and increasingly investors making net zero commitments. But what do these net zero commitments really mean? And um, do they make sense from a fiduciary duty and investment risk perspective, as well as a difference on climate change? And are these commitments enough? So to jump into this net zero or fake zero debate, I'm excited to host Human Kabe, global CIO of Mercer's Investment Solutions, and Jillian Reed, a colleague in our sustainable investing team. So Jillian, kicking things off, you know, Tell us a little bit more about your role at Mercer, but if you can, please do define the term net zero. Happy to. Uh, so from Vancouver, Canada to Canberra, Australia, covering multiple regions and time zones. So I'm providing advice on many sustainable investment topics that have specialised in climate change since 2014 on our climate scenario analysis and most recently on climate transition. And I work with Human and the regional CIOs on the practical implementation as well. Agreed. The definition is very important. So when these commitments are being announced that an investor or a company or government is targeting net zero, it means that they're aiming to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to zero. So mainly carbon plus methane and a few others. But the word net is included as in reality, zero is a real challenge. So we'll also need to net off stubborn remaining emissions by absorbing them out of the atmosphere. And we'll come to more on that, I'm sure, about how do we actually do that. And then with a net zero commitment, timeframe is important. So it needs to be by 2050 or ideally earlier consistent with that global scientific advice from the IPCC. And because this is the target that gives us that decent chance to limit the average temperature rises to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels and earlier increases that chance. However, for that commitment to mean anything, it must have intermediate targets, particularly to 2030 
the action needs to begin now, and there must be regular reporting on progress. So the term carbon neutral is the other term that most people uh, might have heard or sound familiar, but that's typically focused on paying to offset emissions today. So it doesn't usually have that same focus on reducing emissions in line with the scientific advice. And it's those reductions in line with the science starting now that's really the key. Thank you, Gillian. So important to get the, that definition uh, down pat. Uh, and so, Puman, can you uh, also provide an overview of your role at Mercer and speak to some of the net zero commitments that have been made under your leadership and most importantly, why these were made? Hi, Monica. Uh, greetings from a rainy Dublin, Ireland. Um, as you mentioned, I am the Global Chief Investment Officer for Mercer's Investment Solutions business. Um, and together with my team, we serve over 1,500 institutional investors, such as pension funds, endowments and foundations, and insurance companies, representing almost $400 billion uh, of assets under management. With respect to the net zero commitment, so far this year, we've made net zero by 2050 commitments for our full discretion client assets in Europe and the Pacific, with the expectation to follow up in North America. We have also set a target of at least a 45% reduction by 2030 on portfolio carbon emissions. As Julian has explained, we believe that ensuring our investment strategy for client portfolios incorporating climate change scenarios will lead to better investment outcomes. That is to say, better risk-adjusted investment returns. And that's the key driver for the net zero commitments. We're making these commitments on a region by region basis because of two reasons. Our investment solutions business works with clients in many different ways. Sometimes clients want, to take, want us to take over the driving in their portfolios and make all the decisions we believe will lead to better investment outcomes. And other times they would prefer to be involved in the decision-making and we would advise them, and but they would make the final decision. So for those clients where we are doing the driving, we would call that full discretion, we are making these um, commitments on behalf of client portfolios. In addition, we need to consider client trends and preferences in different countries and regions, as well as the regulatory environment. And, and this has meant that we could make the net zero commitment on behalf of full discretion clients in much of the world and are expecting to be in a position to complete that commitment globally in the near future. Thank you, Human. Um, big commitments indeed. Uh, and Gillian, can you uh, unpack a bit more for us also with the clients that you're speaking with? Um, what are their main motivations on making these commitments? So the analysis that, that we and others have undertaken over many years has confirmed that keeping these additional temperature increases as low as possible and avoiding those higher warming scenarios is in long-term investor best interests. So as the latest IPCC report has shown, that the physical damages predicted are not conducive to life as we know it or potentially to human survival. So you get to the point that those kind of systemic risks in higher warming scenarios just can't be diversified away. But rather than just waiting and hoping for that best interest scenario to eventuate, you know, a main motivation is investors looking to, to influence that outcome and signal that they're taking action in their investment decisions and they're engaging with policymakers and companies to do the same. Investors are able to do this now because that net zero by 2050 objective is setting a common goal. So we now have this strategic endpoint that we can all work back from. And in the last 12 to 18 months, this common goal is being adopted widely by governments, companies, investors. 
And I think that's now being helped by the technology developments, the affordability in renewables and other low-carbon solutions that mean the economics is stacking up and therefore the markets are responding. So if investors don't respond to the transition that's now already well underway, they're going to be facing short-term risks and missed opportunities as well. Thank you for unpacking that for us, Gillian. Absolutely critical points. Um, and, and Human, can you dive into, you know, when before you made that net zero commitment, uh, you know, what were some of your initial concerns um, and how did you overcome those? Sure. So the main concern was whether it's possible to actually reduce emissions in line with the net zero commitment by 2050 and still meet investment objectives. That is to say the same or better risk-adjusted investment returns for client portfolios. So we have a fiduciary duty to clients and beneficiaries to meet their investment objectives first and foremost. But as we worked through the annual reductions needed to set a valid net zero commitment and looked at the carbon intensity and portfolio allocations, we got comfortable that it was possible to source the required emission reductions. The other concern was that divestments is not a good starting point. We believe we need the whole economy to transition and therefore investments to transition and not just pass to parcel, you might say. For us just to divest from high carbon assets isn't going to change the emissions in the atmosphere or provide a long-term solution. That's why the ACT tool that Gillian and the team have developed has been very helpful in adopting that transition thinking, bringing together not just emissions metrics for the underlying companies in our portfolios today, but also the forward-looking transition metrics and revenue exposures to the green end of the transition spectrum in, in a spectrum that we would define as greys, greens, and in-betweens that are transitioning towards green. So it meant that if a company was identified as a grey, it wasn't just based on their historical emissions. They would need to have poor transition capacity as well to be considered grey. Being able to compare investment portfolios and asset classes on transition capacity has helped in how we prioritise the emission reductions. And finally, we prioritised engagement. Engagement with investment managers, because the investment managers we appoint are critical to meeting our commitments through the companies they invest in on our behalf. And then we add our own collaborative engagement participation on top of the managers. For example, the Climate Action 100 Plus initiative and the various investor letters to governments seeking policy commitments. And significantly later this year at the COP26 conference in Glasgow to renew those commitments. Right, and so that ACT analysis or the analytics for climate transition and that four-step process being key. Um, and of course we can't be consultants without a framework, but recognizing that uh, you know it's really setting the baseline where you are now, looking at the different possibilities for change, getting comfort um, on what reductions uh, and targets could look like before really starting um, the implementation and really understanding what uh, the steps should be. Um, the, thanks for unpacking that for us a bit more. Uh, so Jillian, you know, speaking to where to start, what are some of the easy first steps investors uh, do get underway on their net zero journeys? And, and then where does it really get hard and challenging? So when it comes to the uh, portfolio implementation, so for a diversified portfolio, the analysis suggests that the first few years in particular often present some quick wins. So wherever there is high carbon intensity, low transition capacity, and those are relatively small weights or exposures in the portfolio, they're a good place to start. Uh, an example would be global listed infrastructure, uh, where 
high carbon intensity, often low transition capacity in some areas, and typically not enormous parts of a, a portfolio where changing that benchmark is an obvious starting point uh, away from the current high carbon standards. Uh, global equities has been uh, another starting point where those, the number of discussions we've had with managers, they're also confident in reducing emissions while still maintaining relatively low tracking error. Yes, even the quant or systematic managers who tend to have a shorter time horizon have really taken this on as an intellectual challenge and are coming up with some great solutions. Yeah, indeed. Thank you. And, and certainly for those managers in particular, it should get easier over time as the regulation and stakeholders continuing to set expectations and investors being rewarded for those changes they're making. As the benchmarks move, this should get easier over time. And Jillian, not forgetting that hard part, um, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, being from Canada, well, you know, one of the things that come to mind, um, you know, what about those regions and clients that are tied to energy and fossil fuel production? Um, and were they surprised by uh, these net zero commitments? And, you know, how did you address these concerns? Yes, the hard part. Uh, so markets like Australia, Canada, concentrated, carbon intensive, and for us, we've got poor policy clarity as another challenge. So when we spoke to Australian equity managers, they were confident in some change being possible, but they do have benchmark relative concerns, which are, are valid when it comes to their performance measurement. So they will need to be changed, no doubt, in my market and yours, but it's not where we're expecting the heavy lifting in the first few years. It's, it's, it is going to need some more time. Likewise, with the illiquid parts of the portfolio, uh, where direct investments are made that can't be sold quickly, they're going to take longer to transition. So it is about you know, infrastructure as an example. It will need to transition, but mapping it out gradually as a, as a transition plan, they'll need more time. And then for our Australian clients, there, is a, there are a number of pension funds who are making these commitments. So it's certainly not just us. And Many of the corporate clients who have outsourced their pension assets have said a big thank you. So this was great news to them because it's consistent with their own organisation's uh, commitments. But certainly there were others uh, in the energy and utility sectors that wanted to hear more about the approach uh, that we were taking. They weren't, they weren't surprised. So this is not news uh, that their industries are facing disruption but their main concern was actually about communication. So to their employees, to, to our pension fund members, as it obviously, it's a very sensitive topic to people whose jobs are at risk in these changes. So, so that's, it was that communication piece. That was certainly something that we all needed to keep front of mind. Thank you for, for sharing those critical um, insights and, and challenges, uh, certainly recognizing uh, not all of this is easy uh, you know, one other uh, criticism of net zero commitments that we've seen is as we reach over, you know, 400 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere and as, you know, the IPCC report warns and, and the scientific authors that we already are seeing some ir irreversible changes, you know, there's skepticism that, you know, is this a fake zero or is it leading us down the wrong path, especially around the net definition, um, you know, it really relies on taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, you know, decade plus from now based on um, some, you know, non-commercialized yet or scale technologies. 
Um, and also that some of these commitments are way off to 2050. Is that too late? Um, you know, how, how do we address these criticisms and how do we call out a fake zero? Some of us have been working in this space for a long time and it feels like there's been a lot of momentum recently. So it's wonderful to see all these announcements being made, but it's also not surprising that they're coming with a number of questions uh, as well. I break it down. I think there's five areas that we should think about and look at when we're differentiating between a, a net zero and a fake zero commitment. And the first would be the actual announcement. So is that actually backed by any investigation into how that might be implemented? And I think there's been a, a mix in approaches uh, to date. Time is an obvious way to pick a fake zero. So if you've only got a 2050 target, nothing to hold you to account over the shorter timeframes, that's a red flag. The methodology and the transparency around that methodology would uh, be another key area. So things like what baseline year reductions set from, you know, is that being communicated? Uh, being obvious that it's scope one and two emissions, noting that scope three is important, but often coming just like carbon emissions, most important, but we shouldn't forget methane, which also needs to come into course. Absolute emissions should be the key for target setting because that's what matters in the real world. But it's not surprising when investors are thinking about carbon intensity because that helps with portfolio decisions. But are we thinking about growth in funds under management and how that'll be catered to? So data is certainly a challenge, it's getting better. But if we're not clear on the methodology, I think that's a problem. Offsets. So what is counting towards that net is the next big focus that's causing the contention in the investment industry. And there's going to be, you know, it's going to take companies, regulators, accountants, actuaries likely to agree on what we're doing in this space because you know, there aren't enough trees in the world or enough space to plant enough trees in the world for everyone to just offset their emissions in that way without the reductions. And investing in renewables to avoid future emissions shouldn't count towards the net. That should be part of the reduction in the first place. But we are going to need solutions for how we remove the emissions from the atmosphere if we're going to be successful. So we do expect that where investors are allocating to carbon removal, so via trees on land or algae in the oceans or all the technology options which exist, but as you say, have a, a long way to go. So carbon capture and storage or use, you know, that should count towards that net in some way. But we also need to work out how to uh, avoid the double counting of those same trees and solutions, right? Yes. Yes. The double counting of that single piece of forestry is definitely an issue we need to overcome as well. And that really, you know, part, and the last one really is around transparency in reporting so, you know, it is going to be a balance between being transparent enough without then encouraging short-term obsessions about annual reductions that lose sight of active ownership and investing in the solutions. But that, that should be the expectation that there is transparency about how the progress is going. Thank you, Gillian. And Human, you know, what checks and balances and commitments um, has the investment solutions business made to ensure your approach is the real net zero? Well, Julian has mentioned a number of those, but if I translate them specifically to what we're doing for clients, Monica, starting with timeframes. So we have set an interim target for reducing emissions in portfolios by 45% by 2030. That's just nine years away. And so we need to act now, not in the future. So what are we changing now? 
As Julian mentioned, current listed infrastructure investment portfolios have significant investment in utilities, which are traditionally a significant user of fossil fuels. We're in the process of revising the investment manager's mandates in this asset class to focus on sustainable infrastructure strategies, such as renewable energy, to reduce our portfolio carbon footprint. And our investment team in each region is working through the strategies prioritized for transition and working with investment managers to get agreement and implementation underway across asset classes. In addition, we've developed a number of sustainable strategies, including a sustainable global equity strategy, and client portfolios are transitioning from more traditional global equity strategies to this sustainable strategy. Yeah, for all those regions that have already made commitments, the first year review and reporting process is also about to begin. And this is now part of annual work plans, reporting for the whole team, just the start of this multi-year project. So we'll soon need to answer that question I just raised about how do we balance that short-term transparency and still maintain sight of the, the longer-term transition objective. Yes, the reporting piece is key, both for us internally to drive the next round of actions needed, but of course for our stakeholders as well to whom we've made these commitments. Well, thank you both for sharing the journey you've been on and making net zero commitments. Um, I think we can all agree that none of this is easy uh, and that time is the greatest challenge we all face um, and that we should be real about the scale of the challenge. Um, indeed, it's going to take governments at every level, scientists, civil society, business, but also investors um, to be stakeholders in meeting this challenge. Um, and recognizing also that um, it, we have to focus not only on climate mitigation, but also on adaptation, uh, you know, recognizing there's going to need to be a lot of investments in um, adaptations that will help us live now and also in a 1.5 degree world. Um, you know, either way, uh, given the, the challenges and the changes we're seeing um, in not only natural resources and physical systems, but also around rapidly evolving regulation, these big shifts in business models, technologies. I think we can all agree that investors are better off uh, getting ahead on, on climate change um, and being proactive. So thank you again, Human Jillian, for joining me today. And of course, thank you to our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to uh, learn more about what we um, have discussed in um, helping clients uh, on net zero journeys, please do contact us at ctci at mercer.com. Thank you. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal, tax, or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Please refer to Mercer's full legal disclaimer in the episode description.